much. That was great. Okay. How you all doing? Big hand to the young people over there. They're not listening. Big hand to the young people over there. Big hand to the young people over there. Don't feel missed out. I'm going to read to you Matthew chapter 5. Extra big two hands. Well, you're either left or right, aren't you? I mean, technically speaking, pick one, be happy, okay? Be left or right, I don't mind. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 3 to 12. This comes with a health warning. This passage will seriously challenge your theology. Start in verse 1. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we covet your presence. We really do. We're here, Lord, because we want to know you. We're here, Lord, because you are calling us. You are drawing us. You are leading us, Lord, and we are responding to that call. We're here, Lord, because we love you. We're here, Lord, because we have tasted and seen of your goodness, and we are hungry for much more. My prayer tonight, Lord, is through your word, by the power of your spirit, that you would challenge us, that you would stir us, that you would inspire us to godliness. Teach us, Lord, tonight, I pray. Expose our hearts. Search our hearts. And show us, Lord, what it is that we need to do to be everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know, as I was reading that very, very serious passage, all I could think of was you guys in the middle are mad at me. (laughs) So please forgive me for for foolishly forgetting the guys in the middle. Verse 6 
is uh, going to be the verse we're going to be looking at tonight. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And there are some questions just to, to stir you up. You know, I think the secret to getting to the destination is to ask the right questions. And so a collection of questions. Number one, are we hungry for a move of God? Okay, that was a rhetorical question, but thank you, Phil Dunks. Way to go. Question two, has God placed in our hearts, is God trying to stoke in our hearts the fires of revival? Yes. Are we prepared to do what it takes? Do our Sunday morning prayers match our Monday morning prayers? Or perhaps it should be the other way around. Do our Monday morning prayers match our Sunday morning prayers? It's one thing on a Sunday to cry out to God and be full of passion and intensity and hunger. But what are we like on Monday? Fifth question. Do our actions match our prayers? And the sixth question is, do we have the, heart, the psalmist's heart? You know these passages Psalm 42 says as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you O God my soul thirsts for God for the living God where can I go and meet with God Psalm 63 verse 1 O God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Now, is that our heart? You know, that's David's heart. David was called, wasn't he? A man after God's own heart. But as I read, Psalm 63 has always been a favorite of mine. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. The King James says, early I seek thee. The implication being before anything else. While everyone else is still lying in bed, catching up on the sleep, I'm up and I'm seeking after the God who is my source and supply. Goes on to say, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water? I think we do. And he says in verse 2, but I've seen you. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power I beheld your glory and it stirred up for me, if you like, even more of a hunger and a thirst and anticipation for the things of God. And so we have Matthew 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I think when I read that verse, I think, do you know what? I think we've tended to put the cart before the horse. If we zoom in on that verse, you've got the Amplified up there. We'll look at that in a second. But as we zoom into that verse, what is the key word? What is the key thought? Is it blessed? Thank God we're blessed. Is it hungry and thirsty? Or is it filled? And I ask, where does this all start? Yes, thank you God for the blessing. Yes, I long to be filled. But it all starts with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness the amplified said blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation he's trying to make a point are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for uprightness and right standing with God 
for they shall be completely satisfied. As I said, I think we've tended to put the cart before the horse. I think we've tended to focus on the blessed. As the Amplified says, fortunate, happy and prosperous. No, there was a church that, that uh, I was involved with in Peterborough, Ontario. And, and every message had to have some kind of blessed tag in it. You know, obey God, not because he's God. Obey God, not because it's the right thing to do, but obey God because then you'll be blessed. And I think the danger is it, it creates in us this sort of entitlement mentality. What are we supposed to hunger and thirst for? Are we supposed to hunger and thirst for the blessing? Thank God for the blessing. Are we supposed to hunger and thirst for the blessing or are we supposed to hunger and thirst for the righteousness? Which Amplified describes as God's way of doing and being right. And you know what? It, it is the pursuit of righteousness that results in the complete satisfaction that lasts the test of time. Matthew six thirty three. we know well. Again, I read it for the Amplified. But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things, that's the blessing, that's the satisfaction, that's the filling. All these things will be given you besides. That's wonderful. But it starts with the seeking after, the aiming at, the longing for, the striving for, first of all, God's kingdom. And God's righteousness. And I'd say this. Thank God for his blessing. And I long to be filled. But it all starts with a hunger and a thirst for God and his ways. So as a starting point for this, and it's going to take me a couple of weeks with a nice long gap in the middle. The starting point is three premises. I believe, number one, we want to see God move. Don't we? Number two, we need to see God move. I mean, have you been out there? We need to see God move. And thirdly, God wants to move. I'm convinced that revival is God's way. It's God's heart. It's God's best. It's God's norm, if you like. So we want to see God move. And the question is, is that really what we want? Because if it was what we really passionately wanted, there's a little phrase and I've ever forgotten. The proof of desire is pursuit. You can tell what people are desiring after, but what they're going after. What direction are they heading? That'll give you a great indicator. But if we really do want to see God move, won't that affect what we do and where we go and where we're aiming? The second one was we need to see God move. Really? Do we recognize the need for that? Or are we comfortable right here? I mean, let's face it, this is a lovely church. These seats, even these seats in this church are comfortable. You get to sit in this nice warm room and be lulled to sleep by the dulcet tones of Jamie. I mean, are we comfortable right here? Or do we need to see God move? Do we need it? Do we recognize our need for it? My father uh, has a... Has a daughter, I suppose, be my sister, probably. <laughs> and my sister wanted to be an actress, and she applied to RADA and all these kind of places. And my father was at a school reunion, 
And he, he met up there with, with someone who was at school. It was an actor by the name of Martin Jarvis. And I, and I looked at Martin Jarvis. He's been in everything. I think he's even been in Coronation Street or East End or something recently. So quite a well-known actor. And he, he, he asked on behalf of my sister for a little bit of advice. And his vi- advice uh, via my father to my sister was, it's not enough to want to be an actress. You have to need to be an actress. In other words, it has to consume you. Wishful thinking ain't going to get you there because RADA takes five out of every million who apply or whatever the statistics are. It's really, really small. It's got to consume you. You know, people go to Hollywood and they give up everything and they wait on tables and they go to audition after audition after audition. And if they don't need it enough, they'll quit and they'll give up. And I think it comes down to how desperate are we? We say we want God to move. We say we recognize that we need God to move. But do we really? And the answer, of course, is yes. That's why you're here. So my topic over the next couple of weeks is how do we, how do we cultivate this hunger and thirst? How do we cultivate this hunger and thirst for blessing, which will lead us into this position of being filled? How do we cultivate that hunger and thirst, the, the type that only God can satisfy? How do we cultivate the hunger and thirst, the type that, that brings real satisfaction and fullness of blessing and rich kingdom fruitfulness? I was reminded as I was thinking about this, it's an old Andy Park song called Only You. It shows how old I am. And the, the chorus of this song goes, Only you, I won't sing it for you. <laughs> Only you can fill my deepest longing. Only you can breathe in me new life. Only you can fill my heart with laughter. Only you can answer my heart's cry. Only you can fill my deepest longing. You know, we have this longing. I believe, I really do believe we have this longing to see to God move, to see God fill us, to see God change our world. Only you. And then I'm right of John chapter 4, 13 and 14, which is everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well? He had this wonderful, obtuse conversation about where we worship and, and how many husbands you've had and the, and the water in the well that she's pulling out. Jesus says, give me a drink. And he says, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The, the, the point being that there is a there is a thirst that only he can fill and boy can he fill it. And we might look to all sorts of other places. As this woman had, she'd had six or seven husbands. I mean, she wasn't going to find it there clearly. And Jesus was saying, if you drink the water that I provide, I can satisfy that thirst. So here's my premise. My premise is that spiritual hunger and thirst and passion and fire need to be stirred up. They need to be cultivated. They need to be ignited. But we have a tendency to inadvertently put out the flames. That's the premise. And I'll go on to say this. And the point, if you like, is that you will never be hungry for God if you constantly satisfy yourself by giving into the flesh. Okay, that's where I'm headed. I'll break that down a little bit. You know, hunger only exists where there is lack. Hungry doesn't mean 
I wish I'd chosen the 12 ounce sirloin rather than the 8 ounce rump. Hungry doesn't mean why on earth did I pass over dessert. Thirsty doesn't mean a little glass of orange juice will get me through the night. Hungry is I can't remember when I had my last meal. Hungry is I have no idea where my next food is coming from. Thirsty is I'm so parched that my blistering tongue is stuck like glue to the roof of my mouth. You know, and under those circumstances, you qualify as desperate. You'll do anything you can to find food and water because your very survival depends on it. The well-being of your family depends on it. And then I'd ask this question. Where in the Western world, really, is there any lack? And I wonder if perhaps this is the difference between Hyderabad and the Cotswolds. And the danger is, you know, we become, we become fat. Spiritually fat. Materially fat. Intellectually fat. To the point where we're moved by nothing. Stirred by nothing. And actually insulated from pain and lack. It's a little uh, passage in Hosea chapter 13. I'm talking about Moses and the Hebrews in the wilderness. And in verse 6 it says, When I fed them, this is God talking, When I fed them, they were satisfied. And when they were satisfied, they became proud. And then they forgot me. Isn't that just like the Western world? We've forgotten about the hand that fed us. And this is why the successful are hard to reach. I pondered a few characters that I met along the way. There's one young lady at university, very, very bright, very talented, um, graduated, got, a, got a, a great job for one of the big companies. And, and this, this girl definitely had a God conscious. She was aware of God and she was interested. But she had everything. Her future was mapped up. It was rosy. It was healthy. She was popular. She was good looking. She was intelligent. Everything was mapped out. And it created in her, I think, an apathy. Why, why really do I need God? There was no lack. She had everything she wanted. I, I worked, when I was in Collingwood, Ontario, I worked as chaplain for the, for the biggest employer in the, in the town, which was called the Cranberry Resort. Hotel and golf course and catering and weddings and all that kind of thing. And, and every now and again I did some... Some, uh, some work with the staff and I remember one, one, one occasion asking them some, to stop had the whole staff there I think um, big questions in life you know where are you going what's it all about have you thought about what this really means because I recognise that for the most of them they never stopped and gave it a second thought they just carried on with their comfortable little life earning their nice little salary so they could live in their comfortable little home and drink their Tim Hortons and enjoy their food and, and there were no real ripples and I remember several of them came up to me afterwards and said, wow, the, and I only spoke for about three or four minutes, believe it or not. And, uh, it, <laughs> no, you don't, I know. And, um, and I, just, I just remember several of them came up to me afterwards and said, no, that, those were really stirring words. I'm going to go away and think about that. But they didn't. Because I was available once a week in the, in the resort for them to come and see me in the afternoon, make an appointment and talk to me about spiritual things. None of them ever came. Sadly, many people only turn to Christ 
in disaster and catastrophe. It's that wonderful psalm, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing and so it goes on. The point is it was at that point of despair. It is at the point of despair that most people are rescued. Another story in my first teaching job, there was a a gentleman by the name of Bill Richmond Pickering. And Bill Richmond Pickering looked like Henry VIII. He was massive. He'd got this huge, great red bushy beard here and not a lot on top. And he, he, was, he was the sort of guy that terrified the living daylights out of all the small kids, but was actually quite friendly to the older ones. And he shouted and bellowed a lot in the classroom, but actually was quite a, a quiet guy. And, and I'd been at school with this guy Um, I was never actually taught by him, but my class was at one point given a four-page essay on tact because we'd been a bit noisy in the next door room. So I got, that was my memory of Bill, as he was affectionately known. When I went back to that school to work as a teacher, another teacher told me a story. This guy lived in the boarding house, drew his salary, um, all his food was provided for, his accommodation... Um, all he really needed was enough money to buy his whiskey, which I think he consumed in, in considerable measure. But the story was told of, of one of my colleagues had, was in his room. And in his room there was a pile of unopened mail. And he looked at it and, and actually it was a pile of bank statements. And, and my friend, whose name was Richard, he said, he asked him, I said, you know, what, why, why don't you open your bank statement? And he said, because if I open my bank statement, I'll know how much money I have and I'll know that I have no need to work anymore. Because all his expenses were paid. He lived in school accommodation. He was banking his salary. And he'd been working there for 35 years. The guy was loaded. And as I thought about that, you know, he, he recognized that if he opened that bank statement and he saw that figure, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? If he saw that figure, he'd recognize there was no lack in his life. There was no lack in his world. And in the absence of lack, there is no hunger. There is no appetite. There is no desire. And he recognized that something would die in him if he made that discovery. So my next question is, where in our personal lives is there any lack? And of course, I'm talking in general terms. I'm not saying that everything's always easy and rosy. I'm not saying that no one in the Western world has any need of anything. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is we don't like lack. We don't like to be hungry. And we don't like to be thirsty. Because it's uncomfortable. But my, my, my thought here is that God permits us. Key word, permits. God permits us to experience some pain. And to experience some lack. And to experience some hardship. Because it tends to draw us to him and God uses again key word God uses that hunger to draw us if we have any form of emotional void in our lives and we all do from time to time God will use that to call us to draw us a revelation of personal weakness a sense of injustice a holy dissatisfaction 
if you are righteous anger, all of these things, they hurt a little bit. There's a lack, there's a, a drive, there's a hunger, there's a thirst that comes out of that. And God allows us to experience that because that is his way of calling us to him. I believe that God is ever calling us into this relationship with him. The danger is when we, when we feel this pain, when we feel this lack, rather than responding to it and running to God, rather than seeking God, recognizing his call, recognizing that he is the solution, that he has the answers, that his grace is sufficient, and so on. When we feel that pain, we tend to just medicate it. What do I mean by that? Something's missing. It's causing frustration. It's causing our flesh to cry out. So what do we do? We cover it up. We substitute in place of the lack something which will make us feel good temporarily. And I'll, I'll give you some examples in a minute. And the medical parallel of this would be if you've got a headache, you take aspirin and do nothing about the stress that caused the headache in the first place. You just medicate the pain to try and take the pain away. You don't listen to the pain and respond to it and go where it's taking you. So the question becomes, how do you habitually gratify your flesh to fill the void that should be filled by your relationship with God? Or you could put it like this, what, what do you do, what do we tend to do to medicate the pain? I'll give you some examples. Someone offends you at work and you're ticked off. How do you respond? Correct answer, you seek God. There's a pain, there's a lack, there's an absence in there, there's an emotional void. And God will use that to call you. What do we do? Do we seek God or do we just lash out? Second example, you see an old girlfriend with a new boy and she looks so happy. What do you do? Do you recognize that somewhere inside you this is revealing the need for intimacy of relationship? That's the longing that's actually in there. That should cause us to seek God because we know that he is the only one who can satisfy that lack. Is that what we do? Or do we start feeling sorry for ourselves and, and go down this cycle of self-pity and depression? Another example. You're frustrated you can't solve a problem at work. So what do you do? Seek God who says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of me. Or do we dump on our wife and kids when we get home? Let them feel the full vent of our frustration. And there are lots of things that actually double up as substitutes for intimacy with God. That's what he longs for. That's what we long for. That was Eva's word earlier, wasn't it? So all sorts of things. Pornography, promiscuity, drugs and alcohol are all substitutes for intimacy for God because we have this hunger we have this lack but rather than going to God we medicate it we hit the bottle we take a fix we go online whatever it is some people are fitness fanatics why? adrenaline replace the need just go and beat yourself up in the gym I've given that Matt. given that up all sorts of obsessions there are 
that double up as substitutes for intimacy with God. And what happens is fleshly gratification tends away from God. You know, the devil uses temptation, the temptation to yield to fleshly things, not just to create painful consequences for us, although often it does, because that's what sin does. But he uses that temptation to yield to the flesh, ultimately to drive a wedge between us and God. And the danger is in time, we train ourselves to default to a fleshly response to avoid pain. Rather than going to Abba Father and casting our cares on Him. Rather than drawing from His infinite supply of grace. Rather than going to Him and finding that peace that passes understanding. I have a very cheerful list of the top seven is, because of course it's got to be seven, isn't it? Top seven reality escape routes. These are the things that people use to medicate pain when they feel this lack. They feel this emptiness and rather than going to God, this is where people go. Not you guys, of course, but I'm just saying in general terms. First one is the feel-good factor. Hey, what a buzzword. It's all about feeling good. You know, you can cover up any hurt and any lack with a, some form of feel-good, some form of buzz. And of course, we recognize that we have not been called to live by our feelings. We've been called to live by faith. We haven't been called to live by the flesh, which feels good. We've been called to live by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And I think one of the challenges we face is weighing up the balance between entertainment, because that feels good, and spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines that do us good. The spiritual disciplines that feed our relationship with God. It's so easy to go for the easy option and take the, the feel good. You know, I could spend time with the Lord tonight, but hey, I could sit and watch my favorite show and feel good. Or I could open the whatever it is. I could open my food cupboard. Whatever it is. First one, feel good factor. Second one, adrenaline junkie. Is what people do. They get busy. They like that. Anything that involves a bit of risk, anything that's fast-paced and gives them a buzz. Because they can use that to avoid what God is prompting in their hearts. God is revealing something. God is showing you something. But the option is just to go helter-skelter after the things of this world. Take that adrenaline buzz and just starve it. Just medicate that, that lack. The next one, I'm going to gloss over a few of these quite um, quickly. Feel free to throw things at me. Number three is comfort food. I put Haagen-Dazs, works for me. Uh, fourth one would be retail therapy. It works. Retail therapy takes away the pain. All the ladies are nodding, you know. But ultimately it's empty. <laughs> I'm going over these quickly. Television. If in doubt, chill out. Oh, and I, I like to do a little bit of chilling out myself, I have to say. But why pray? Why go to house group? Why serve in the soup kitchen? That'll hurt. You could just stay at home and watch TV. I mean, after all, there's live football on every night. Number six, sex. The devil's trump card 
the thing into, into which he's invested so heavily. You know, people delude themselves that they're finding the love and the acceptance and the affirmation that they desire and long for. But it's more likely to be more disappointment, more pain, more abuse, more rejection and devastating consequences. 30 seconds gratification leading to a lifetime of heartache. And the last one, anger. You know, we are called to yield to the Spirit, the promptings of the Spirit. We are called to walk in love. Is that what we do? Or do we give in to the fleshly impulse to explode or implode if you're an introvert? Anger is an easy escape route to facing up to things. It's an easy avoidance technique. Rather than facing up to the pain and the hurt on the inside, I can just dump it all on the nearest person. I feel better, I feel better, never mind the devastation and the heartache I've caused. Bringing this round full circle. So the challenge is, how often do you take what appears to be the easy way out? In your emotional responses to situations. It's, there are easy ways out, aren't there? There are ways to medicate. There are ways to take an aspirin. There are ways to throw on a band-aid. They just cover it up. They just deal with it in the now. Without actually getting to the root of the issue. Because at the root of the issue, God is calling out your name. And he's trying to draw you into relationship. How often do we take what appears to be the easy way out in our personal spiritual lives? I could summarize by saying this. The flesh voice is always screaming at you. And if you train yourself to respond to that voice rather than the voice of the Spirit, you will always be dissatisfied. Remember Galatians 6 verse 6. He that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The Message Bible says that if you sow if you sow weeds, you'll reap a har- if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap a harvest of weeds, I think is, is what it says. If you train yourself to respond to the flesh rather than the spirit, you will always be dissatisfied. Matthew 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The good news, however, is that when you feel that hunger, when you feel that pain, when you feel that longing, if you go after God, He will draw you into a newness and a freshness and a fullness of life that the phony substitutes and counterfeits that I've listed today just can never match. So, allow yourself, allow yourself little hunger, allow yourself little thirst. Don't just medicate it, but allow it to stir you, allow it to break you, allow it to wreck you if necessary, and then go where it leads you, because it leads you to your Father.
the Tim Hughes song, There Must Be More Than This. It says, There must be more than this. O breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than the, this. Spirit of God, we wait for you. Fill us in you, we pray. Fill us in you, we pray. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. Spirit of God, fall in this place. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way with us. So you go something like this. This is the last slide, I think. Dissatisfaction leads to passion. And passion leads to action. But satisfaction leads to passivity. And passivity leads to death. And God will allow you to have this sense of holy dissatisfaction. And out of that, God will stir passion. Passion for his name. And out of that passion, we're stirred to action. We're stirred to mission. But satisfaction leads to passivity. And passivity leads to fruitlessness. And that's the point I've been trying to make is that if we, if we satisfy every longing, if we satisfy every aching, if we medicate every pain, then that will just lead us into a position of passivity. Well, everything's just fine. But if we'll sense it and we'll perceive it and we'll recognize that this is an opportunity It'll stir in us a dissatisfaction. God, I'm hungry. I recognize there's a lack here. Not the eight ounce steak, but I, I need you in this. And as we take those steps towards God, as that passion stirs in our heart, that will stir us into action. And that will stir us into mission. And again, just bringing this full circle. God is searching for people hungry and thirsty for him to pour himself into coming back around to revival I know this is Chipping Camden I have to preach on revival when I come here I just got this sense God is searching for people who are hungry and thirsty who are like a sponge ready to soak up God and the things of God or have you already been soaked up with the things of this world is there no hunger if there's no hunger and no thirst you won't go after it God is looking for that passion he's looking for that hunger I wrote here, the danger is that Western Christianity floats along lukewarm, majoring on the blessing, on the favour and the prosperity, while God passes by, moves towards the developing world where people are desperate for him, where believers are really walking by faith because God is all they have. And if we never learn to deny ourselves, a little fleshly gratification. We will never experience lack. And if we never experience any lack in our lives, we will never cultivate a hunger for God. And it's that, it's that lack that cultivates the hunger and it's that hunger that leads to a people who will cry out to God for revival because God wants to fill us. I mean, come back again. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. God wants to fill us, but he's looking for that hunger and he's looking for that thirst. What did I say at the beginning? 
We have to stir up the flames, but we inadvertently pour cold water on it. Because when God is calling for us, we tend just to give in to that fleshly gratification and take the easy, pain-free route out. So this is a challenging message. It's not a, one of these blessing, fluffy, mushroom, you know, marshmallow messages, although there is... This is where the blessing is to be found. This is where the real blessing is to be found. This is where the real fullness is to be found. But Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God and his ways, for they will be filled. Next week, how do we do that? Let's pray. Father, we want you to move. We do. We don't want you to move because we want this to be the hip happening church that everyone goes to because they've heard this is where God is moving. We want you to move because we want you. We want you to move because we believe in you. We trust in you. We know that you are the hope of the world. We also recognize that we need you to move. We're not going to shake this region with lukewarm Christianity. We're not going to shake this region with Jamie's best preaching, Phil's best praying. The only thing that's going to shake this region is the power of God. And Lord, I'm compelled to think that the danger is we're just comfortable. Because Christianity is the good life. Oh, taste and see that you are good. You are good. Lord, we are blessed. And Lord, you have showered many good things upon us. We have had a glimpse of your glory. But my prayer, Lord, for us is that you would stir inside of us a hunger and a thirst that says there must be more than this. Lord, not that we're not grateful. We are grateful. But somehow you work in for us both a sense of gratitude but also a hungering for more. As the psalmist said, early God I seek you. My, my, my soul longs for you. My body cries out for you because I've had a glimpse. God, you are in the business of filling the hungry and the thirsty. And Lord, I I know for myself that there are many times where rather than responding to that, that lack, I've just filled myself up with all the wrong things and I've removed any semblance of hunger and thirst for my life and I've created this satisfaction. And in satisfaction, I tend to turn away from you. But there's something about this dissatisfaction that stirs up a passion in my heart that there must be more than this. And it stirs me into action. So, Father, I ask myself the question. And I challenge my friends to do the same. How do we medicate pain? How do we gratify our flesh when that very gratification is drawing us away from God and driving a wedge between ourselves and God whereas if only we would 
see in that lack your calling card that you are ever drawing us into intimate relationship with you and that that is where the fulfillment is to be found. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would challenge us all this week. To challenge us to the point where we just close off that fleshly voice and we say no more. No more easy way out. No more quick anger. No more just sit down and fill myself up with worldly things. But now I'm going to respond to this, this hunger, this thirst. Stir it up. Holy Spirit, show us what we need to do. Holy Spirit, do in our hearts everything you need to do to get us to where we need to be so that you can do everything that you need to do. Because Lord, these are not just Sunday morning prayers for us. This is a desire that you've placed in us over a lifetime. God, we long to see revival. But we recognize we need to be hungry and thirsty for you. Lukewarm will not cut it. Passive will not cut it. Going through the motions will not cut it. Lord, we want to be desperate for you. close tonight I'm going to I've asked Henry if we could just sing that song I know we've sung it over and over there must be more than this next week we're going to look into what it is we need to do to cultivate this hunger we've t- talked about not medicating that's, that's one side what do, we, what do we do to stir this hunger for God because I'm convinced that God longs to fill hungry vessels so why don't we stand